0: We started this series a few weeks ago called "Alternate Reality, and I think it's extremely uh, appropriate for the times in which we live because the reality of God's world and the reality of the world around us do not match. We look at the definition of the word reality, so the world or the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or notional idea of them. Now think about what that means for a moment. It's the state of the world as they actually exist, the things in the world, and not some idealistic notion of them, some idea of how this could be or how it might work. Okay, now think about, think this through for just a moment, because the one thing that we are lacking probably more than anything, and most people will raise their hands and say morals, and that, there's truth to that, but how about rational thinking? Wouldn't that be amazing if we just lived in a world who thought through the different things that they spew out of their mouth? If I was creating man, okay, listen to this, I was creating mankind, there would be a filter in their brain, and I'd call it the stupid filter, because every time that you were about to say something stupid, you'd just collapse. That would be the thing. It'd be a trick. You'd fall to the ground. And my thought is, is after doing that enough time, between the embarrassment of just collapsing and falling to the ground, and perhaps the pain thereof, you would think through some of the words that you say. Now, you and I have a stupid filter. It's called the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is when you bypass him, you don't collapse. It would help. Because wouldn't it be wonderful if you're all standing there and all of a sudden the one guy in the circle drops the ground like, he's about to say something stupid. You just know. Instead, what do they do? They open their mouth and prove you right. So the idea or the world as they actually are as opposed to this notional idea that they they could be. The world we live in today, you've got to understand something. We, and this is the point, we are not of this world. You've got to wrap your mind around that. We are in a foreign territory of which you and I are not citizens. And we're not bound by the limitations thereof. Because you and I are part of a heavenly kingdom. And yet, in spite of that, much of the church today... Does everything that it can to blend in, to be a part, to fit in, to get along. Are you and I called to get along with this world? Are we called to impress them? Are we called to be nice to them? The answer is no. Have you? Well, think about it, Yoli. Let's just talk. You and me, Yoli, right here. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Now, here's what you need to know. If you come to our Bible studies, Yoli knows everything, okay? No, she does, she does. There's never a question asked that Yoli doesn't know the answer to. And, uh, and and so, here's the thing. I don't know what the definition of nice is, but I think flipping tables and making whips and chasing people out of the temple would go past that definition. So, just between you and I, okay? We won't let the others know, okay? Yeah, right. But I mean, that's the thing. We think of niceness. We think of love. We've got a notional idea of what love is, and then we have the reality of what love is. And love is telling somebody when they're being stupid, when they're wrong, when they're about to do something that will harm themselves or perhaps others. And we live in this world today where our churches are trying so desperately to get along and play nice with the world. Do you guys know where I'm going with this? I bet you do. Because something just happened this week. Right. An overturning of Roe versus Wade. Something that should have never happened to begin with. But we're living in a world where we do not think. So we're spewing out ideas of which sound good. You got the ideas from there that it is okay to murder a child at any point in time. They just happen to stop that point in time the moment they are born. Then it's no longer okay. And they come up with every excuse and all of the stuff. Do you guys realize that killing children is not health care? It's execution? I don't know if you knew that or not. But we use these colorful words, but we don't know what they mean. Here's the problem. The church is now standing up, and while celebrating, they're doing it somewhat quietly, and they're doing it in a way It's like, well, we don't want to offend these people. They're murdering children. They need offense. They need offense. There is nothing wrong with speaking the truth. Well, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. What does that mean? It means tell them the truth. It doesn't mean you have to be a jerk, but you've got to tell them. See, look at John 17, verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. So this is Jesus praying to the Father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Truth matters. Truth matters. You see, there's a lot of stuff that is getting brought up. There's a lot of guilt being thrown out. I'm seeing on social media. My phone has blown up continuously since this thing has happened from ministers that I am connected with asking, how do we carefully navigate what's going on right now? You know, my response, most of you probably do, we don't carefully navigate anything. We have been speaking truth for many years they said. but what about the person that perhaps had a, an abortion at one point great there's forgiveness for that that's the truth i it was a travesty what you've done but my God sent his son into the world and that blood washes over anything and everything that you possibly could have done don't care what it is that's the truth well what if they feel guilty tell him to stop because he took that away too you see what I'm saying? Like, we are walking in uncharted territories. And because we don't know how to think anymore, and we can't rationalize our thoughts and our stuff, we're throwing out buzzwords. And so as the world that you and I are not a part of are now attacking us, saying, oh, well, that we shouldn't have religious beliefs infiltrating our government, you know, separation church-state, don't get me started on that, it has nothing to do with that. It's like, well, they should tax churches and stuff like that. Tax the church, I don't care. We don't produce a widget. So I don't know what we're selling to tax, but you go right ahead, do whatever. do whatever, Because we were not called to be tax-free, we were called to be salt and light. And that salt and light is going to cost you something. They hate you like they hated me. The world hated them because they're not of it. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Who should we be mimicking? Jesus and only Jesus. When we followed the teachings of the apostles, who were they following? That's right. So who are we following? So whatever he did, whatever he said, we should do. Do you realize that the Bible is not a book of morality? Do you know that? Can you believe that? It's not a book of morality. It's capturing what Jesus did. How God has interacted with mankind from the beginning. That's all it is. It's not a book of morals, do's, and don'ts. It's a book of what God has said, what God has done, and who He is. Why does this matter? You and I are His imager on this earth. You and I are His representative. We have been created in His image. And we have got to stand up. So while we celebrate what has happened, do you realize that nothing has changed in our world as far as you and I are concerned? Because we're not of this world. We're not even, what if they mandated abortions? That'd be kind of dumb, but what if they did? How would you and I respond? Would we start getting them? Would we start supporting them? Of course not. You see, we're not called to obey the government in that sense. Romans 13 gets misused all the time. We are called into a world that is not our own. We have an invasion of the kingdom of heaven into the kingdom of darkness. That's what we've been talking about. This alternate reality. You and I walk on this spiritual plane of which the world has no knowledge of, cannot see, cannot understand. Think about this. Why did Jesus teach in in parables? It wasn't so you had some cute story to remember. It says so that seeing they won't see, and hearing, they will not understand. Because those who didn't want the truth wouldn't understand that was being taught. I'm getting ahead of myself. But we have got to understand something. And you, she has something she wanted to share real quick, and this battery's about dead, so talk fast. But this is something from a long time ago, and it kind of fits. This is something the Lord gave her way back when. The Lord gave this interpretation of tongues between 2011 and 2012. So this was a long time. Um, It says, stand back, stand back, and watch me, and watch me. What I'm going to do with you, be ready, because I'm going to show you my face. I'm going to show you my face, this land. I'm going to show you my face to you, to you all. (coughs) Praise be to God. That's fitting for today. But the thing is, is you hear people out there, and I'm going to just, again, I would encourage you that if you're having questions about anything that's going on, that you just come talk to me and I will help you navigate some of the nonsense, because we logically are just lost our ever-loving mind. But, But it's like, they're out there screaming, you can't legislate morality. I got something to tell you. All morality is legislated, 100%. Because now they're saying, well, you can't legislate morality, therefore you should allow Abortions to take place on demand. Well, isn't that your morals? That it is okay to do that? Thus, by legislating it, it's allowing. You see the inconsistencies in our thought processes? But we can't think through that. So again, we have not accomplished or changed much. Don't get comfortable. I watched something that I never thought I would see happen, and I should have known, is that the moment of Trump's election what happened to the church? Yes, our guy's in. Now, don't misunderstand me when I say our guy. That was a problem. How many people asked Donald Trump into their heart in the last four years? That's a joke. Some of you didn't catch that. It'll come to you. Just bear with me. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Again, we're not moved by this. We stay consistently on this spiritual plane. Yes, we want a guy who represents us, that, that shares our morals and shares our, our standards and all of that. But don't be moved. Just because our guy didn't get in doesn't mean we change what we do. Just because they change laws doesn't mean we change what we do. Do you realize the world hates us? Why are we trying so hard to get along with them and impress them and get them on our side? They don't see it. They don't want it. They're never going to. You see... You and I as a representative of Christ need to represent Him as He represented Himself. He was a representative of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all those things on this earth, in the flesh, like you and I are right now. Do you realize, now this is going to be scary to some people, do you realize that when He walked on this earth, He walks like you and I? Was He subject to death? Obviously, He laid down His life. I mean, think about it. Everything that He did was like you and I. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought also himself uh, walk as he walked. Okay? What does that mean? To walk as he walked. Now, what do we think? What goes into our minds every time that somebody says that, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's a reaction to how people uh, act. We need to be nice. You know, we need to take care of the poor and the widows, and those are good things. And we need to be loving and and generous and all of that. Good things also. How did he walk? What did he do? He did three things. He preached. He taught. He healed. So if we're to walk as he walked, what should we be doing? It's the same thing. How many of those things are we doing? Not enough. We wait for a preacher. You think because you're not called in the five-fold ministry, you're not required or expected to be out there sharing the gospel? I certainly hope not. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel knew God. They were in covenant relationship with him. And who is John writing to? Believers, not unbelievers. He's writing to believers. Is there anything in Scripture that is addressing an unbeliever, how they should live, how should they act, all of that? The answer is no. It was never about changing morals. It was always about the changing of the heart. And with that, what happens? You begin to change your thoughts and your belief. You see, Jesus is our example. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, be imitators of God as dear children. Who are we imitating? Christ. Paul says, you can imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. We saw the two realities in display when we talked about John 3 with Nicodemus and how he said, how can I be born again when I'm old? How can I enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? There's these two worlds that you and I are residing in. The kingdom of which we are and the kingdom of which we reside. We are a foreigner in this land with the authority that comes from the Son. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm trying to get everybody on the same page to understand something. Some of this stuff, everybody knows, but we don't live in this reality. We know... That we are a nation of kings and priests. We know that we are, are the body of Christ. The mouth of Christ. The hands and feet. We know all of those things. But yet when I read something that says they ought to walk as he walked. And then we don't. That means we don't truly believe it. Or we would. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you, he made alive. Who is he? Jesus. Who is you? The believers. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Were they physically dead? No. Spiritually they were dead. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now the course of this world is run by whom? The prince of the power of the air. That means should we be in any way walking according to the course of this world? No, because we're no longer dead. We have been made alive. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Who are the others? Well, the unbelief. We were just like them. We did the same thing. The lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. When we hear that, what do we think? Naughty stuff. Do you realize that the lust of the flesh may have to do with you choosing a church over if you like the songs or not? Or the paint color? Because we don't want to be challenged. We want to be comfortable. We want to see things happen in a certain way. And if it's not happening that way, then that must not be God. I'm going somewhere else. Every day. Every day I hear these stories. Because we are fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our minds. What we want. Not what He wants. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Where do we sit? Are we there physically? No. No. You see, we weren't dead physically, we were dead spiritually. He has now created us in His image, in His likeness, as His representative on this earth. To go and do what? To walk as He once walked. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, in Him. So there's the caveat. You were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead and you... Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What did he do? He took what was once dead and now made it alive, and how did he do it? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. That is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now what happened? He disarmed the principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them. What does that mean? Remember, it was, it's, it's a Roman thing. When they would go in and they would battle, when they would take over a nation, they would strip them, take away everything they had, and then march them through the city so they knew who was in charge now. This is the language that Paul is using about what Jesus did. He disarmed the principalities and the powers. So what power do they have left? They have none over you. This is the whole roaring lying aspect. And yet we walk around in this world as if we're defeated. We make excuses because we don't see things supernaturally. We see them according to this world. We react in the same way according to this world. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What authority? All of it. How much is left? None. All of it was given to him. And then what does he say? Go therefore. So in other words, because of this authority, I am now sending you out into this world with what? That authority. And I want you to make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Now here's the question. How do we know how to make a disciple? What verse spells out the formula in which we are to follow to make a disciple? If you're struggling with it, there isn't one. The example is laid out by Jesus himself. There's no verse that says, all right, here you go, step one, step two, step three, step four. What do we see Jesus do? He went about. He selected a group of men who were obviously hung. We don't know what the motivation was with those specific guys. And what did they do? They are around him all the time. And when he was walking around, he said, you see that tree? See that rock? See what's going on there? He would use as an example. But you can only do that if these people are in your world. So that doesn't... Is that we start a discipleship class of which we invite people into... And we just teach them things. That's not discipleship. It's useful. It's good. True discipleship according to what Jesus did. And if we walk how he walked. Is where we enter into a relationship with somebody. And they are now a part of our lives. They're at our house eating supper. They're playing with your children and your dogs. You're going to their house. You're taking them. You're taking every moment as a teaching opportunity. Pouring into their lives. And that is much easier said than done for sure. But it's something that he did. Do you not think for one moment that some of those 12 were driving Jesus crazy? I guarantee it. When you read the King James, it's so eloquent and so polite and all of that. I'm sitting there thinking like, do I really have to explain this again? Do you not get it by now? You're going to see this here in a What was the one thing that they did? They teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded. You see, making disciples was a sort of thing that rabbis would do. This wasn't something that everybody did, but rabbis did. But they would bring those disciples to themselves. What's interesting here is that the words that he's using is to make disciples for Jesus. You see, John had disciples. Every rabbi that, that came before him and in after had disciples. Remember, rabbi just means teacher. That's all it is. There are lots of teachers. Okay, Gamaliel was a teacher. He was a teacher of the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a teacher of the Pharisees. They had disciples of their own. And they would baptize them, and they were followers of them, and they were teaching them their teaching. But what's transitioned here, it's no longer what I'm teaching. I'm teaching what Jesus did, what he said, what he taught, how he lived. Rabbis would make disciples by teaching them. Only a few converts would ever study under the uh, the rabbis themselves. But making Gentiles full disciples, followers of Jesus who would learn and serve Him, goes way beyond the Jewish tradition. This is not how it would typically... You didn't go and recruit disciples. The rabbi hand-picked. See, something's different. If all authority has been given to Jesus, and we being His representative, His imager, what authority does the enemy have over us? The answer is none. He can't do something to you that you don't allow. This is why when it says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, it's not talking about the devil. That's a cop-out. It's the bad teaching of the Pharisees who were leading the nation of Israel astray, ignoring what was right in front of them. Can you imagine? You're seeing there, you're seeing these miracles, knowing that when Messiah comes, only he would do those, and then you still have to ignore them and say, well, that's not it. That's of the devil. Uh, that's Beelzebub. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, guards, here's 100 bucks. Tell everybody you fell asleep and the disciples stole the body. Yeah, Lazarus was dead and then he's alive. Let's kill him. Let's, 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 like, imagine what you, mental exercise you would have to do. This is how we know the Pharisees were politicians. They had to be. There's no other way around. There's only a politician could think like that. You see, it was the teachings about God that led the people astray. It's teachings about God that when they don't lead you to the truth of who God is, And what he does will destroy your life. And how many of you guys have heard in the last week about how God wants Roe v. Wade? That's not the God of the Bible. We've created a God in our own image. How many of you guys have Christian friends that are not celebrating, but, but are just crying out like, how can we do this? How can we take this away? That tells us something. It's the leading, the teaching that has led them astray. This is what has been stolen from them. Do they believe that they are worshiping God? Absolutely. Do they believe that they're Christians? Absolutely. But you can't be a Christ follower without following the Christ of the Bible. That's who he was. You can be whatever else, put whatever vernacular you want on it. That's not Christian. So I want to look at something here. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 17. This is after the temptation, okay? So you guys know that he was tempted. He fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He was in the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. Look at verse 4. As soon as he gets done, he goes out. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is good words. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And how does one become a part of that? It's to repent, right? Well, duh. We all know that. No question about that. But what does it mean to repent? Well, let me show you this in the original language here. Okay? The word repent here comes from the Greek word that one. Anybody like to take a crack at that? You may. I, I Again, don't speak these languages. But here's what it means. It means grief, sorrow, and Regret. This is what Judas experienced after betraying Jesus. But think about this for a minute. When we think about repent, what do we think of? If somebody were to come into the church and we had this altar call and the music's playing and, and somebody comes up front and they're crying, they're like, man, the Holy Spirit's touching them and they're repenting, they're crying out. And we've all been there when we've done something we know we shouldn't do of this repentance, this, re- this feeling that we have, this crying out to God. But here's the problem. That's not the definition of repentance. That's what we've turned it into. You see, this is actually the Greek word for remorse. This is what Judas experienced. The regretting of a decision that was made. So they're remorseful, but remorse and emotion to do with repentance. Nothing. Let's look at this. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. It literally means to change one's mind. That's it. So let's put this in simple terms, okay? You're not going to like the way I use this, but just bear with me. You go out to McDonald's. You're going to order a number one, Big Mac Fries and a Coke. As you're about to do it, you see they're running a special on chicken nuggets. And you like chicken nuggets. And you like specials. So you change, you order the chicken nuggets. What did you just do? Repent. Okay? Literally what it means. To change one's mind. It's kind of like dedication. You know what dedicate is? Hanukkah. So anytime something was dedicated, when they dedicated the temple, what did they do? They Hanukkah did. <sighs> I need more phlegm. I'll work on that. See, this is a compound word of two. Meta and nous. Meta means to turn or to change. Naus is the mind, intellect, will, frame of thinking, opinion, or general view of life. When put together, it portrays a decision to completely change the way one thinks, lives, or behaves. You see, this is repentance. Does it speak of emotion? Can one... Cry and be repentant. Yes. Does one have to? No. But because of the world we live in, we are expecting emotion to go with it. And a lot of times we'll call emotion the Holy Spirit. And it can be. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm like, when we see something naturally, physically, we're like, the Holy Spirit's moving on them. I'll tell you a story one time. I remember I was preaching in a service one time. This was many years ago. And this person just stared at me the entire time. And I'm thinking, that dude don't like anything that I have to say. I've never seen somebody look so grumpy in a church service before. I mean, in all my life. And then they leave. I don't see him stuff. I get a call from this pastor friend of mine who I was was speaking at. And he's like, you're never going to believe what happened. And he tells me who it was. I'm like, I don't know the guy's name. And he's like, he was the one sitting in front. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking this is bad. He's like, his whole life is completely transformed since that Sunday. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wasn't sure he was still alive. I thought it was a little Weekend and Bernie's thing going on, because he didn't move. You see, something in his mind changed immediately to the truth of what Scripture had said. Completely transformed him. Matthew 4, verse 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, you're in the kingdom of this world, but you need to change your mind, because the kingdom of heaven is now here time to walk change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come and establish his earthly kingdom but Jesus is referring to heaven's reality who's available to anybody who wants to see it now let's go to Mark chapter 6 watch this let's watch this play out a little bit Mark chapter 6 verse 1 then he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him and when the Sabbath had come he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by him? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, are not, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So what are they blown away by? What he's saying and what he's doing. Where did this, how did this happen? Where are they living? Over here. They're operating in this natural world. Where is he at? Over here, operating in the supernatural world. Verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, this is mind-blowing here. You see, we've used this. He said, a prophet is not without honor. He could do no mighty miracles, except that he laid his hands on a few sick. And people tell you like, well, you see, because of their unbelief that, you know, he prayed for them, but not everybody got healed. That's not what it said. You see, they were offended at him. They didn't like him. Many people use this as an excuse. Well, I can't do any works in my hometown. I'm sorry. What did he do? Everybody he laid hands on got healed. He preached the message and they were blown away, but they refused to accept it because there was no honor there. And what did he do as a result? He went to all the other villages in a circuit, and he was teaching. Did it slow him down? No. Now look at verse 7. And he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, bread, copper and their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive nor hear from you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against him. And surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so they went out and they preached and the people, that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. Now, what did he say? What did he do? He went about teaching. What was he teaching? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're in the kingdom of this world. He's trying to change their mind. He said, when he called them, he gave them power over the unclean. He sends them out. When you go into a place, if they receive you, great. And if not, what do you do? Move on. Move on. They say, try to win them over. Try to befriend them. Don't use words that are offensive. Let them see the light inside of you through your actions so that that the gospel may be shown through your actions. No. He said, move on. They don't want it, not going to give it to them. Don't cast your pearls before swine, that whole thing. Because it's on them. So they went out, they preached, that they should do what? Change their mind. They cast out demons, anointed the oil who were sick, and healed them. What was Jesus teaching? Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He gave authority to his disciples. Why? So that people would repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was to change your way of thinking. The reality of heaven is here. They were declaring this message, trying to convince them, and then they proved it by the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick. It was time to get their eyes off the perspective of this world and put it on the truth of God's kingdom. There was an invasion that was going on that the people did not recognize, at least not in the majority. What was coming here was heaven's reality was now the earth. It's an invasion of a world of which they could not see into a world of which they could. Wait a minute, you're telling me these supernatural things should be ordinary Oh, yeah, here you go. Here's your authority. Principalities, powers, darkness, rulers of this world, all defeated. Every one of them. It's ratified by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The enemy is absolutely powerless. He stripped him of the authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And do we? Or do we walk around in fear? Concerned with what people may say or think? Do we walk around in that power of the Holy Spirit? When we hear of somebody who's sick, do we pray for them immediately? Or we're standing there, we're going into Walmart or wherever you may be? The struggle for Jesus and the apostles wasn't so much of the sharing of the gospel. It was the convincing of people who were so engrossed in their belief system that they denied the truth of what was right in front of them. See, it wasn't just words. There was corresponding action. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 11. It says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven and testing him. So what are they disputing? What are they disputing? His teachings. Show us this sign. What sign are they referring to? Maybe they wanted him to call fire down from heaven. Something. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? And surely I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. So was, does this imply that they were responsible for the bringing of the bread? It sure does. Because they forgot. You can't forget to do something that wasn't your responsibility to do something, right? You guys with me on that? Okay. So, in other words, I didn't forget to take the trash out if it ain't my job. You guys are looking at me weird. Okay. Verse 15. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So remember, Pharisees come out, dispute, they jump on the boat. The disciples realized we didn't bring the bread, and Jesus says, what? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So what did they say? They reason among themselves, saying, it's because we didn't bring the bread. That's the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Forgot the bread. Verse 17, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Now, what's he talking about? He's not talking about bread, obviously. Okay? But their eyes, he's getting on to them. Why do you think this is about bread? Do you not yet understand? In other words, what reality are they still walking in? This one here. He's been teaching them. What did he do when they've forgotten the bread? He took that moment. He says, beware the leaven. of the fa-. See, he's teaching. them. He's taking the opportunity. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, verse 18, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Here we go. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? Well, they said 12. And also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Are you all a bunch of idiots? If he can take bread and turn it into more bread, them forgetting bread is not a problem. Because that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the... Leaven of the fair, the teaching that they have that keeps you over here ignoring the kingdom of heaven. The reality of what's going on. You see what he's doing here? Is he making disciples? Absolutely. He's taking a moment to teach them. And then he's correcting them. Do you not recall the things that I did? How many times in the Old Testament is God is speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel? And just like I brought you through the Red Sea. Out of Egypt, through the Red Sea. I will. He's bringing to remembrance the things that he's done. This is what Jesus is doing. You see, it's about having a different perspective. And that's where we fail. It's because we have an earthly perspective. In John 17, verse 15, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart. Set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. We are to be set apart, different from this world. Our reaction to the things of this world should never resemble that of the culture of this earth because we are not part of that. We are over here. The nation of Israel was set apart. They were to be different. They were to follow the commandments of God. And if they did, they would be blessed. And they were entering into a land of which was not theirs, that God had promised to them, and he would lead the way as long as they would follow. All they had to do was go. Did they go? They did not go. Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. If then you were raised with Christ, were you? I was. You're born again. You were? We seek those things which are above, not the things here. Where Christ is, he's at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ. You see, this isn't a set of morals that we begin to follow. Our morals begin to change as a result of the new life that we have. This is a decision to focus on the truth of God's word and the supernatural world. We are not moved By what we hear. We are not moved by what we see. We are only moved by what we know. That's it. Anybody ever jump out of an airplane? You wouldn't do it if you did not have faith in that parachute. If I told you, hey, you're going to jump out of the plane, I'm giving you a parachute, but it doesn't work. Are you jumping out? No. Are you going to test it? No. You're going to take my word for it. And yet when it comes to the things of God, he has proven himself time and time again. Do you not remember the bread? How many baskets did you take up? You think I care about that stupid loaf? We'll be all right. Time and time again. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that, that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So now what do we do? We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one or your body is over, you don't need it anymore. You're a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, set apart to first service, acceptable to God, not any old way, but His way, that's our reasonable service, do not be conformed to this world, fine, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, for what purpose? That you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, if this has never happened, then you would be one of those saying, well, no, God wants this, or God thinks that. I don't care what you think, I care what He says. And that's it. My opinion, your opinion is completely irrelevant if it is not grounded in truth. I want to read this out of the message. You may have never heard me read out of the message because I don't often do this, but I did happen to like the way that this reads. Romans 12 verse 1, it says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Do not become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that He wants what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to His level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You see, church, we are to be here, completely different. We should not be trying to get along, impress them. Do you care what the world thinks? I hope not. Is we as a body of believers, should we care what the world thinks? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, we do. We're to be separated. Look at 2 Corinthians. I'm almost done. 6 verse 11. O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affection. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And most people will say this, see, you shouldn't be associating with any unbeliever. You can't do that. You can't preach the gospel if you don't. But unequally yoked are two animals tied together going in different direction. One pulling the other. The reality is, guys, is that we are to be so separated. We are I'm not talking about building a commune and coming off the you know, going on to the plantation or whatever you want to say. I am talking about that when we respond and we react, it is from a biblical worldview, and not alone. That's the truth. Romans eight chapter or chapter eight verse five says, "For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, when we talk about this alternate reality, we cannot be carnally minded because that's the things of this world. We can only be spiritually minded. How we respond, how we act, what we say, what we do is a reflection as the imager of God of who God is and what he's done and what he's said. The world will never read this. You and I are the mouthpiece. Did you notice Jesus never went anywhere and said, Here's a scroll. Go home and read this. you think they would have? No. He says, you tell them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, we have a responsibility as christ immatures on this earth. We are in a world that we are not of. We are a part of a kingdom that has taken all authority and power from the enemy. Nothing that he has has power over us that we have not allowed him to have. And that is it. So as we continue in this, we're building upon brick upon brick here, going into the next part where we begin to see what that authority comes with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is true, and that in all things that we are spiritually minded, set apart by you for your kingdom, to be used by you, to be your mouthpiece, your hands, your feet, and to go into this world preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Lord, I just ask that you just quicken our hearts in a way that we will realize the areas of which we are sure. That the words we speak will represent you and the actions we take will represent you and that we will not back down to the culture or the fear of this world or how people will respond or think, but we will stand up for truth in every scenario. And so Lord, I just pray that you move in our hearts and our lives and that you open up doors of opportunity for us each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week. See you next Sunday.